sequencing the order i realized that a lot of the songs on this record were in the key of d for some reason <laughs> so like a part of it was trying to like you don't want to have it like everything in a row be in like one key because i think like subconsciously like people get like bored or like even though you know even if it doesn't people think it all like starts to sound the same if you like are listening to it all in a row so part of it was trying to put it in an order where they would break up on this episode of Playtime, we spotlight the new album from Jared Rabin. I'm your host, W.C. Turk. Not asking a lot, man, I have something left to say. Soon tomorrow will be My conversation with the guitar legend Kristen Pelletieri is up at Playtime with W.C. Turk. And coming up on Playtime, a conversation with singer-songwriter Carla Bonoff and the Smithereens have just released a new album of previously unreleased material. I talk with drummer Dennis Dyken. Jared Rabin is a truly gifted multi-instrumentalist singer, songwriter, and educator, and apparently a Cub fan. <laughs> if you must describe his music, it would be best to describe it as bluegrass and Americana, and more specifically, Appalachian folk. Did I get that right? Yeah, I'd say that sounds pretty uh, aptly descriptive of the stuff I'm doing right now, yeah. All right, well, and we'll drill down on that that definition a little bit in, in just, a, just a bit here. But Jared Bean's music transcends simple description. His 2021 album, Cold Rain and Snow, hit number four on the American folk radio charts. He holds a master's degree in jazz composition, and his songwriting has been recognized by a number of international competitions. He is featured in American Songwriter, Bluegrass Today, and on NPR, among others. In 2016, Rabin's song, Something Left to Say, was called an American masterpiece by American Songwriter Magazine. His latest album, Chasing the Light, is an exemplary tour de force in Americana bluegrass and folk music with richly blended notes of blues and hints of pop. Jared and his band perform live October 21st at 8 p.m., for an album release party at Madame Zuzu's 1876 First Street in Highland Park. The website is www, I don't know why I said that, .jaredrabine.com. How's it going, buddy? Good, good. How are you? I'm just getting over COVID here, man, and it, it's holding on, but we're, we're muscling through. I thought that we would showcase this album song by song featuring stories and inspirations uh, as well as music from this exceptional album. But you made it through the COVID tunnel. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I may, I, I had it myself uh, earlier this summer. But I yeah. uh, made it through, or, or we're still making it through, or we think we're making it through. <laughs> <We're> not... <laughs> good man, good man. I was speaking with, uh, with John Gallagher from uh, the metal band Raven. They just plowed through the pandemic. Uh, they even knocked out part of a tour when everybody else was, was locked down. I don't know how that happened, but they did yeah. it. Um, you couldn't do that, and the lockdown hit you pretty hard financially, didn't it? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I, yeah, it did. I, I guess, um, you know, I, I'm like a working guitar player in yeah. Chicago. <laughs> that pretty much being locked down pretty much knocked out, uh, you know, all of my gigs and a lot of my normal income. So, yeah, I mean, it hit financially it was you know boring <laughs> uh, yeah they, uh, you know mentally uh challenging also emotionally everything but yeah just like I, you know same as everyone else i'm sure you know what i mean 
it was a it was it ended up being a good time to like i got some other stuff done i recorded uh-huh. another album you know my last album and in hindsight there's you know you can find some silver linings but let's not do it again yeah <laughs> uh you kept yourself very busy musically let's start with tunnels and uh which after all all you all we've been through all you've been through seems uh a pro- an appropriate, even poignant title. It feels like morning, waking up, remembering what's been lost. Every new day is born of the dark. Is that a light at the tunnel's end? Just a spark. Uncertainty No one said that This was gonna be easy Like an ocean breeze Is that a light at the tunnel's end? Is it still too far to see? My heart is bleeding Yeah, it's kind of like was written in sort of that i mean a place where we still sort of are now where it's like we have like sort of emerged uh from like you know the darkness to some degree but we're not totally sure yet like is it is it for real or or what you know it's kind of like could it all come crashing down or is it okay or what you know the uh, the song comes off like this uh, it has that Beatles getting better vibe. I have to admit it's getting better. It couldn't get much worse. To admit it's getting better. It's getting better. Since you've been mine. We used to be angry young man. We hiding the head in the sand. You gave me the word. Yeah. yeah was was that that's, intentional that's kind of where i was at at yeah. that time and maybe like still am at now it's kind of like about being in that sort of area of hopeful uncertainty yeah so th- this this occurred to me the other day i was i was thinking about your music what's changed and what have you learned since the release of something left to say oh man a lot since then i mean a lot just having to do with um making records and recording yeah. my first album i was recorded in like this uh professional studio with the uh, engineer and was um you know partly mixed there also and like so since then i've gradually like started doing a lot more myself so that's been like a major learning process like becoming more adept at recording yourself and producing and mixing and all that kind of stuff. And I mean, I, I think I've learned a lot in all those regards and just by, you know, trial and error and doing stuff wrong and, you know, <laughs> and also as a songwriter, I think I've grown and become more focused and tried to hone in on a sound for this record, mm-hmm. um, you know, like a particular sound, um, like kind of less, all over the place than I used to be. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a very cohesive album, really well paced. We're going to get into that in in a little bit, but I I kind of wanted to start off talking about you and and your musical foundation. You began learning violin at the age of five from your grandfather. Yeah, um, he was a professional. He was, I mean, he was the first chair violinist in the Chicago Symphony for like 30 years. So he was, you know, a big time uh, musician in his day. And so, yeah, they started me, uh, my parents and grandparents collectively started um, giving me lessons. And, you know, I took Suzuki violin lessons as a kid. And I also learned from my grandpa. And uh, yeah, started when I was five, played all, all through growing up, um, eventually kind of took up guitar also. And um, 
Yeah, I've been doing it all my life, though. Your your bio says fiddle. I'm guessing your grandfather would never have used the term fiddle. Yeah, pro- no, I mean, he was more of a violin guy, I guess. Mm-hmm. The way he played it, at least. You know, I think maybe he probably called it a fiddle now and then. But yeah, the way he played it was definitely like a violin, not a fiddle. <laughs> That's kind <laughs> of where the main difference lies. Did did I also did I also see that you went on to to play as a as a as a kid uh, in China and Singapore and Taiwan? Yeah, yeah, you were digging deep. The <laughs> um, <laughs> kid, yeah. So I took like I was part of this Suzuki violin program for kids. Uh, you know, since I was five, and like uh, me and my brother both, and they had like a touring group that every few years would have some kind of opportunity to like travel to some far off place and spread the word of Suzuki things yeah we went to China uh Taiwan Singapore um we played in like the White House when I was like you know 10 or 11 years old so yeah we had some cool opportunities as kids it was mostly my parents like you know dragging us everywhere (laughs) It, it had to have been an amazing experience were you playing classical music yeah, it, yeah, it's like stuff from like the Suzuki program is like it's classical music, all like age kids, like ranging from like five to like or even younger to like high school age kids. It's like a whole school of uh, teaching, like a school of thought for teaching violin or you know music in general to kids. It was it was a cool way to learn. I mean, we had some cool opportunities. Song number two on the album is Grow Your Own. Like a seed in the ground, I can't see the light or hear the sound. Reaching up to feel the sun, wondering. Tell us about about this song and the inspiration behind it. It's kind of like inspired by, well, I was kind of doing a little bit of gardening. Um, So like quite literally thinking about planting seeds and and plants Uh and stuff. Also kind of like then uh, the song is sort of drawing a parallel between that and sort of like the DIY life, um, whether it's like anyone doing anything or in my case, you know, like independent musician, like kind of like the feeling of, yeah, you know, you get back, you get out of it, whatever you put into it kind of up to you. Does gardening help your songwriting? (laughs) Maybe. Like it must in some like way, <laughs> you know. Yeah, I mean, it gave me kind of took took my thoughts to to that place for this song. So if in no other way, I got got a tune out of it. But yeah, like a good in the in the summer, I was, I'm like between my basement doing music stuff and outside, you know, watering the plants. So it's kind of like a good balance release thing. <laughs> Get away, get away. Um, yeah. You attended the uh, the Thornton School of Music at the University of Southern California in Los Angeles. What did that mean for you musically, being that far away from from home and and in in really kind of kind of a foreign place like L.A. from Chicago? Yeah, it was eye opening in a lot of ways. Uh, I mean, I was eighteen and probably not prepared for all that. Um, that you <laughs> just mentioned. Um, but yeah, it was great in a lot of ways, like also a lot of great opportunities. Like we had Pat Metheny was like the weekend guest artist at the guitar school and we got, and like Kurt Rosenwinkel and got to play and uh, meet all these amazing musicians from all over the world, like 
from people like that to other guys that were my age that I still know and collaborate with and stuff like that. So in terms of all that, it was great. But like you said, it was definitely seemed like a kind of a foreign world. Uh, USC is in like the South central area of LA and I need like a car to like get anywhere, which I didn't have. So like in this weird, you know, like I was always at the school, like doing music stuff and, I wanted to like be getting out and like, I, you know, kind of young, like hothead attitude sort of. And I felt kind of stuck, like just doing school stuff there. So I like <laughs> wanted to get out. But in terms of, you know, it was a great experience. And I also, you know, it was clear to me that like the Hollywood sort of way of doing things like, especially at that time in my life, wasn't going to like work like the sort of like social ladder aspect of everything like the <laughs> the whole like kind of networking butt kissing factor <laughs> yeah. Not, so yeah i mean it wasn't like a good fit at that point in my life but i definitely also had some good experiences and learned a lot about music so you spent uh you spent two years out there 2006 2008 and then you returned to the chicago to chicago and uh and joined the uh the chicago civic uh, orchestra right yeah i came back here and finished school here and at the same time yeah i, I um auditioned for the civic orchestra mm-hmm. and you know it was kind of what i wanted to do i came back here and i had uh, you know i started a, a rock band and playing in lincoln park every week and um you know that's the time seemed to me like what i should be doing so yeah i also played in the civic orchestra for those two years which is like definitely um, the height of my classical career, I haven't really gotten any farther than that. You know, I started taking some auditions for professional orchestras after that just for fun. But people in that world are really dedicated to, you know, they practice like eight hours a day. And I, I'm all over the board and was not that committed. So that was kind of the peak of my classical career. Uh, speaking of of kind of being all over the board but it, it seems to have worked in your favor you performed as as a sideman with a local blues band safe haven with uh with uh, jazz saxophonist i believe frank um catalano yes yeah yeah i mean yeah for you know ever since i i've been back in time i mean sorry it's been 17 years but yeah i've played with all sorts of different bands and styles music and yeah it's it's definitely worked to my advantage to be uh kind of versatile and have uh you know be able to play a few different instruments and in a few different styles and all that has definitely worked in my favor and still does you know now is like you know today i lead uh, like a 12-piece wedding band um on the weekends and we play everything from hip-hop to motown to funk and classic rock so i mean being able to do a lot of different stuff is I would, you know, say for any musician is an important, you know, factor. Does does it help you? Does it help you keeping one foot in the in the pop world and and bringing uh, your particular sound uh, to bluegrass and, and Americana folk? Yeah, I think so. And I mean, just because I've always been in that, like, you know, I grew up listening to, you know, first like the Beatles and pop music of my parents and then q101 kind of popular music of my era so i mean i've never not been you know listening to music like that so it kind of seems uh you know it's like natural that it rears its head in stuff that i'm writing you studied with with jazz guitarist uh bobby broom yeah uh, the legendary um jazz artist Thank you. 
did you learn from him that you still carry into your music today? It's hard to pinpoint like one thing from Bobby that I remember. Like, I don't remember like a particular like, oh, like play like this moment. But it was just kind of like being around him and like going to his house. We would go to his house in Evanston for lessons just his experiences and just kind of, I don't know, being around people like that just kind of rubs off on you and you like end up kind of like taking stuff from it that you kind of like permeates and you don't even really know. I've had different teachers where I could be like, oh yes, he like told me like this way of playing like chord inversions that I still use like every day. But I think, yeah, with Bobby, it was kind of just more like listening to him like you know, vibe at me about whatever was on his mind. I just had a a really great conversation with Chris Impelitary. He practices for hours every single day. Is that is that what you do? Or do do you need that that constant practice, or are you just out playing all the time? And that's uh, which he which he is as well. But uh, how how do you? How do you build up? He he talks about muscle memory, but also a playing acumen. How how do you? Yeah, I mean, some people are like that. I've never been able to be one of those people <laughs> who can just like practice and practice and practice. It's like more, you know, that's kind of like the what I was talking about the classical music mm-hmm. scene and people who are just so dedicated and can like focus and are disciplined and practice for that long. And I've, I've always been around people like that. But yeah, it's never come naturally to me. It was always like when I was a kid, I was always fighting with my parents about it and stuff. No, <laughs> I don't do now either. Um, I practice, you know, I, I practice when I'm, you know, if there's something I'm trying to learn or if there's like I have a performance coming up that if there's stuff that's new or and I, I do just practice like on my own too, like learning stuff at home. But I, I don't sit for like hours a day. It's not like kind of like, um, you know, some people, like you said, have like this kind of like need to like do it all. You know, they like feel they're like uh, losing something or, you know, and maybe that, that's true. I mean, I'm sure if I, I did practice for six hours a day, I'd be able to do some stuff I can't do. But um, yeah, it's never come naturally to me that way. I'm too uh, spaced out. <laughs> you also got a family. Yeah, right. I mean, just like life also. Yeah, I got two kids and, uh, you know, I, I like I said, I lead this wedding band on the weekends and do all sorts of other gigs. So, yeah, I mean, I've got, got stuff going on, too. If <laughs> <laughs> you're traveling the North Country Fair where the winds hit heavy on the borderline Remember me to the one who is there She once was a true love of mine If you go where the snowflakes storm Where the rivers freeze and Summer and please see if she has a coat so warm. Keep her from howling wind. The Girl from North Country. This is a song about long lost love. It reminded me of a, of a Dan Fogelberg song. Part of what I was talking about about the magnificent pacing of this album. The songs just seem to flow from one to the next. Was was that a where you were you hanging cards up on the wall and 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 moving them around to find out what worked best with what how, how did you how did you decide on on the on the pacing and the segues from album to album or from song to song rather? I mean, there was, I realized at one point um, when everything, when I was trying to figure out out the uh, sequencing, the order, I realized that a lot of the songs on this record were in the key of D for some reason. <laughs> so like a part of it was trying to like, you don't want to have it like everything in a row be in like one key because I think like subconsciously like people get like bored or like 
even though you know even if it doesn't people think it all like starts to sound the same if you like are listening to it all in a row so part of it was trying to put it in an order where they would break up the of d for a little bit here and there yeah and i mean the other thing was like i mean i liked the way this that the arrangement of the of that tune came out i wanted to put like a cover song on the album that is kind of like you know maybe recognizable to some people even though it's kind of my own rendition of it um but you know i, I wanted to put that on like the beginning of the album to maybe kind of hold people's attention a little long on just might break down I, I feel that there is a convergence of of styles which leans on on so many of your disparate uh, influences, the jazz and blues and pop. Am I am I sort of on the on the right track with that? Yeah, I mean, yeah, for sure. I, I think like when you hear some of the that tune has a bunch of like fiddle soloing. You know, you can hear in that it's kind of just like even though it's in sort of a bluegrass style. I guess you hear like blues and jazz and everything kind of in some of the, uh, the fiddle playing. Cause that's just like the, the language, you know, if you played sort of like similar stuff on fiddle, whether it was in the jazz style or bluegrass style or pop style, like it's all kind of the same notes and it's just how you like present it in a different way. So, yeah, I mean, there's, there's traces of it all in every in everything and you know bluegrass comes from you know they have sort of the same lineage like uh sort of separate paths that evolve in the same place so it's you know you can kind of hear it all everywhere i imagine everywhere it's the same scene living life looking at a flashing screen waiting on that max shot of dopamine sort of alluded to this that there's so much going on with this song uh so many so many layers you've got you've got guitar you've got mandolin you've got violin uh fiddle you play all those instruments on and and on this on this album how difficult is it to to arrange their very different sounds and textures on your own as opposed to say if you were playing along with other people yeah, I mean, they both ways have advantages. Obviously, like yeah. playing with other people, you have like, you know, real human to human interaction and spontaneity and stuff like that that can happen. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, as far as like a recording process, it's kind of cool sometimes to do it myself. From an arranging standpoint, it's almost like easier in a way sometimes because I don't have to like, explain it to like four other people. I can just like remember like, oh, I did this thing here on the, on the guitar track. So I'm going to do something to react to that on the fiddle track as I'm doing it, you know, instead of uh, kind of like having to go through that with a bunch of people and practice it and make sure it sounds good. And also, you know, not going to uh, pretend <laughs> that I didn't do everything like, you know, take like 50 tries to get everything perfect either. <laughs> it was out of first take so yeah when i'm doing it myself i hear how i did it this time and go back and like oh that wasn't that good but like well, let's try it this way and like just do it a million different ways until you get something you're kind of happy with actually also i mean i want it to kind of sound like a band even though it's not necessarily one so where do you start do you start with uh always with guitar or does sometimes does sometimes a, a mandolin line present itself where, where where does jared rubin start yeah usually with i mean usually i start with a guitar part 
because that's usually also what I've, I've written the song on. And it also kind of just provides like a foundation. But what I'll do is I'll, you know, I'll start with that and then add like a bass and mandolin and then uh, whatever else and layer it on so that you have kind of like a demo track. And then I'll go back and like redo the guitar part and then redo everything else. Like, so it kind of like morphs from like the demo into the version that, you know, it ends up being. We are, we're halfway through this album already, buddy. It was a cold and clear December's end I'll always remember one night when So you made a mistake And you had to go away Cause the piper always gets paid there ain't no escape But nobody cares whether it's fair I swear this isn't how it had to end Up for you, my friend So now you're has long been paid, you still got that ball Let's talk about Ball and Chain Stain, uh, this bluesy bluegrass piece. I, I think we touched on, a, a bit on, on this before. So rock and jazz, blues, and a bit of country bands, uh, like, like an earlier band that you were in, Fall Down, and classical, are your listening tastes in music that diverse? um yeah i mean they are i guess yeah i i don't listen to as much new stuff as i should i uh have been better about it lately trying to discover new bands and stuff new artists but yeah i mean i i have always listened to a pretty big variety of stuff whether it's like the mainstream anywhere from you know like i was mentioning classic rock to you know 90 grunge whatever mainstream stuff to bluegrass and jazz and you know i went through a whole like 10 years of jam band phase and yeah so i mean it, i always have had a pretty wide range of interests so where or how did you discover bluegrass and realize that that was the genre that you felt you could speak to the world through best I just, I mean, I first came to it from like not the usual way. I mean, I, I, like I mentioned, I was had like sort of a jam band phase. So I, um, via that scene, heard, heard, I think maybe first I heard of Bela Fleck and the Fleck Tones, um, and saw them live. And maybe when I, I think I saw them live and Nickel Creek opened and, uh, seeing Chris Thiele on the mandolin for the first time was pretty mind blowing experience i remember and yeah from there you know also i mean one of the first kind of acoustic albums i ever got was pizza tapes which was jerry garcia from the grateful dead uh playing with uh you know playing bluegrass traditional tunes with um david grisman and tony rice so i mean that was my first exposure to the whole thing was kind of via like grateful dead slash jam band scene stuff so that's kind of unusual in itself but from there you know i i that was already 25 years ago. So I've had plenty of time to like learn about it and get into the genre. It's natural a fit. It's a natural fit for me having, you know, been a violinist and a guitarist. Um, it was easy to pick up mandolin and, um, you know, being able to play those, even those three instruments kind of proficiently is like lends itself to this kind of string band stuff you know bluegrass has its uh, has its roots in scottish and in irish folk music um it was transported over here uh but the bluegrass that we know today has jazz and rock uh and black roots am, am i am i correct on that yeah definitely i mean and even the stuff um you know the really old timey stuff when you think about the the scottish irish immigrants in appalachia i mean even those 
older generations of music uh, all had roots with the African-American and African traditions too. I mean, banjo was an African instrument. Yeah. That's, that's always been part of it, no matter how much uh, people may have tried to not acknowledge it for a long time. <laughs> have, have you been to Appalachia? Uh, yeah. I mean, I've driven, like I've driven through, <laughs> I don't okay. claim that's uh you know, um, that's another thing, uh, playing traditional kind of music that comes from Appalachia. It's kind of like, you know, I'm, I'm from the city, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I guy. So yeah, I mean, right. I don't like, to, I'm not trying to, I don't like to try to like sing it with the Southern accent or anything. Yeah, no, I, I, I get that. I, I just, I just wondered, um, if you, if you ever had, had a compunction to, to stop and jam somewhere and and sort of test those uh those skills in in the place where that music was born yeah no that would be and i haven't actually done something like that i mean i have played in nashville with you know which is where the real ringers are at for this type of music these days you know i've gone to jam sessions and played with played with some of the heavy guys from down there um, on occasion and there's plenty of uh, great bluegrass players here in Chicago too I actually have some playing with me at the uh, nice record release show that's coming up actually uh, going into the you know I've never like uh, gone to like a rural country store and whipped out my uh, my mandolin or anything <laughs> The transition between ball and chain stain and painted gray is almost hypnotic. I was listening to it a lot this past week, but yesterday I found myself sort of slipping between between both songs without realizing that one had ended and the other the other began. Um, I think it's it's the harmonies uh, which blend those songs perfectly. I, I'd love to know the story behind Painted Gray. Thank you. I mean, yeah, that one is just like kind of me complaining, I guess. Uh, <laughs> kind of like um, sometimes you, no matter what, you uh, you know, you find yourself in a bit of a, a funk, and uh, you know, not to sound like too, you know, Debbie Downer or anything, but yeah, that's basically what the song's about. It's kind of like the, the clouds are following you around, even uh, even though the sun's shining outside. <laughs> It's not on any of your albums, um, but you you guys do a great cover of Fleetwood Mac's "The Chain," which is my favorite, one of my all time favorite songs. My favorite song by Fleetwood Mac.
uh, you recreated that song with with singer Ren Patrick and uh, percussionist uh, or drummer um, Jordan Kozer. You did you did all of that on Zoom. Yeah, I, I, I'm trying to remember, but I think that was a thing we did during the pandemic when, yeah, we were like for a, at the beginning there when everyone was like, oh, what are we going to do? Like, how are we going to, you know, play together anymore? But uh, a way we figured out to collaborate in those times, um, did a few of those kind of videos, which was fun. It would be fun to like do still, but like now it doesn't really like seem like we could just get together and play the chain. But um, it was cool then. And we do, we play that song live sometimes too, like actually together, which is also fun. Yeah, that was like it was it was kind of like needed at the time as like an outlet, something to, you know, create something, do something fun at this, you know, that weird time. <laughs> the life. reason the reason I mentioned that is because on on Zoom and not being together, it's it's kind of hard to to vibe off of one another. But you guys really built a great energy in that song that really comes through strongly in the in the final recording it's it's really uh, magnificent thank you yeah i think it's one of those things like kind of what i was mentioning like you kind of make it try to sound like a band even if it's not one you have some like experience doing recording and stuff and yeah the drummer also i'll give jordy some credit for being very energetic drummer <laughs> that always helps uh, it was it was well played by everybody. It was it was exceptional. Oh, thank you. Yeah, that's a fun one. Uh, number seven on the album. Uh, we're working our way through here, buddy. Uh, Catch the horizon. Midnight miles fly. American dreams drifting by. Try to catch one before it's swallowed by the sky. I can't remember why I'm on this trip. Am I chasing after something that doesn't exist? Like all musicians, you're solving problems between the music and the lyrics. Um, this album feels like one long inspiration to to the listener. Is songwriting becoming easier, or are you just able, uh, better able to meet that challenge, that eternal challenge? Yeah, I mean, I'd like to think I'm getting better at it, maybe. Hopefully. I don't know. Yeah, it's not easier, I don't think. Um, I think I what I have, what I can, like, you know, I'm confident that I've gotten better at, which is probably what you're hearing there, is, like, kind of focusing my lyric writing on, like, something that is sort of not necessarily, like, totally, like, a story, like, tangible, like, oh, I went to you know, went for a walk down the street today or something like that. But it's like some stuff that people could hold on to, grasp onto, relate to, even if it's, you know, vague or whatever. It's, you know, 
themes that people can get with. So, I mean, I think I've gotten better at sort of focusing lyrically on stuff that makes sense and matters as opposed to kind of just being like a, you know, psychedelic cowboy kind of writer, whatever, not making sense all the time. <laughs> or or writing or writing to to maybe a a cliche of of the genre. Um you, you seem to be writing really about experiences in your life and what's important to you and uh, and and really some some fresh material lyrically. Yeah. Thank you. I mean, right. And that's kind of what I, you know, what I was saying poorly before. It's like, you know, I don't pretend, I, I don't really want to pretend to like be like Appalachian, like cowboy singer guy. You know, I'm just playing this kind of music, uh, writing my own stuff. But yeah, trying to not sort of live in the cliches or whatever. You have a son who's already showing an aptitude for music. Yeah, he. I mean, he definitely has the, the gene. Uh, it's just a matter of uh, focusing him in a little bit, <laughs> reining him in. We, uh, Greg Kinn is a, is a friend of the show. He's been on a couple of times. His son joined him on his last album. He's got grandkids now who are, who are showing an aptitude for music, and he's teaching them guitar and drums. And So let me ask you this. Uh, I, I've had this conversation with Greg. Is Jared Rabin building a musical dynasty? <laughs> I don't know. I guess I'm already part <laughs> of Grandpa. But yeah, I might be continuing it. We'll see. I got uh, My wife keeps bugging me to find him a guitar teacher. He's, he's five. My oldest kid's five now. So I guess that's when I started. So it's time to uh, time to get him going. I've tried to teach him a little bit myself. But I, you know, it, I think it's the same thing my parents probably thought with me when I was five is that it could be better to like have someone else be the teacher and like, I'll help them out. Like my grandpa would help me and stuff um, practicing or whatever, but I think it'll come across better from some coming from somebody else. <laughs> your, your dad, I'm, I'm sure a little bit of it comes off like teaching him to drive. Right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> like, listen to me, tell him to do anything really. You know. Turns my veins to ice again Blowing heavy with regret Michigan Lake Fire Like a flash flood inside my head A river of sweet bitterness Carries off my last chance Get myself out of this mess Lake Affected, your ode to Lake Michigan. Uh, but it's it's about much more than that. It's uh it's very autobiographical, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I guess so. It's kind of like an anti-ode to Chicago. <laughs> like I've mentioned this before talking about this song. I thought of the quote from uh billy corgan that he said like chicago's where all good bands go to die or something like that paraphrasing but uh it was kind of like that how it got you know it's uh the city kind of like sucks you in and keeps you there you know it's hard in a way to uh break away not that i'm you know trying to or anything which is just kind of like, um i've heard i've heard that a lot of people say that before though they uh they say Lake Michigan is and I, I just heard this not too long ago uh, again is the moodiest and most dangerous of all lakes where there are great legends and stories there's we just had an author on who wrote a book the name escapes me right now uh, I'll, I'll I'll find it though who who wrote a book about a man who who called himself a king. Uh, who lived on an, one of the northerly islands in Lake Michigan, uh, and he was he was subsequently assassinated by by people who lived on the island, uh, and maybe and maybe there was complicity in the government. But there's 
there's there's there's a mood and and a history to to this lake that we live on what is it about the lake for you that that inspired that inspired a song like lake affected yeah i mean i live near it now um spent a lot of years driving around it um through the snow (laughs) and yeah i mean i don't know you're right it it is you know it's kind of like a mysteriously alluring thing i think just because of like its size and you know it seems like more than a a lake sometimes when you you know you're standing looks like you're you know you can't see past the horizon so yeah, I don't know. It it is a kind of like a mysterious thing, and it has always had sort of that like draw, and which kind of like feels like a parallel um, to the way that the city kind of, you know, is like a vortex keeps you keeps you sucked in. You know, the the song didn't feel like a uh, a hectic or or crowded or claustrophobic city song. It it was it was light and airy. I could. I could feel a winter wind coming off the song. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I was going to say it's got that like kind of wintry vibe to it more than like the downtown hustle vibe. When when did you write the song? Man, good question. I don't even know. It was probably last winter. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. So you you were already in that in that in that mood. Yeah, no, yeah. I mean, most of the stuff I wrote last winter when it's kind of like the slower time of year for like, you know, musicians playing gigs and stuff. I have, you know, usually when I have some more time to do writing and recording. Where I want to be, your harmonies have this, this America resonance, the band America. I think it's time to simplify. Shed the weight that complicates my life Clear out all the clutter in my mind And maybe then I could write a melody That you could hum along with me It's taken so long to see that All of the mess that's surrounding Which is easier, playing uh, playing numerous instruments, or or and blending them together, or creating harmonies? You know, they're their own thing. It's its own thing. I like yeah. harmony. I've always kind of like, for whatever reason, I have a, a good ear. I've you know, sudden as a kid, like singing in the car to like the radio, kind of like been able to figure out harmonies and stuff. So it's fun for me to arrange like vocal parts. But yeah, I, I mean, it's kind of all the same thing. Like it's just you kind of think of it as another instrument. Each instrument's like voice, you know, it's got to find its place in the mix and the arrangement and everything. But yeah, I mean, I, I do. I like enjoy. I enjoy doing like big vocal harmonies on all these songs. And I actually have to, you know, and like kind of editing stuff and talking to people of, often been told to like kind of take it easy sometimes like save <laughs> pick my spots to do that stuff as opposed to just like having it there all the time um so that's also something you know that's part of like something i've been learning for you know as a producer is kind of like picking spots to you know maybe not have vocal harmonies as opposed to having them all or some or you know kind of picking where to put stuff it's a perfect follow-up to to lake affected uh, again, it's it's the pacing of this album that that I think is is really the strength. You can you can close your eyes and and just seem to slip from song to song. Where an equally great album, Cold Rain and Snow, which uh, which is on on my my MP3 favorites, the songs feel like like individual islands, like like a composition. Uh, one ends and then the other begins. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I was, I kind of, yeah, I don't know how that happened, but I, I definitely agree. 
whether it's just like the instrumentation or the production or just the flow of the tunes, or maybe it's kind of like some of what I'm talking about, how a lot of them are in the same key. <laughs> you like kind of like they kind of flow together in a way. Yeah. But for whatever reason, yeah, this, this feels more like a cohesive record for sure. Where I want to be uh, a, a bit of, um, of a lament, uh, homesick blues perhaps. Yeah, kind of. I was like, I was given the challenge of writing something like very simple. And so I don't know if I succeeded in doing that, but this was sort of like a springboard for me to start listing my complaints <laughs> about, you know, the clutter in life. The challenge was to like write something accessible to, you know, everyone as opposed to like maybe what I thought was cool. All right. <laughs> so, okay. Yeah. Like the, yeah, that's kind of where it takes my mind. I don't have to say a word. You know what I'm thinking. I can walk the straightest line. You still know if I was drinking. Reunite with with Ren on We've Been There. This is a tale of hardships uh, and endurance for a couple of, of perseverance. Did you write that originally as a lyrical conversation with a with a male and female voice? How did how did that all come together? We don't need to hear another love song. No, actually, I don't think I did. That's a good question. I think it was suggested to me to make that one a duet by when I like play it was playing it for some people. Someone's supposed to be a really cool duet with like a female singer, which yeah, and the lyrically it kind of works out uh, to make sense to do that. Um, but yeah, I don't think I wrote it with that. In, but um, yeah, it was great to you know have run. Uh, find some like a cool part for her to sing on the on the record my wife and i are about to celebrate our 20 28th year uh anniversary um we've been through so much that i could almost believe this song was written through us uh written for us it it has such a universal quality and i was really moved by the song hey thank you i mean yeah that's you know i mean i i guess that's the hope with any song is that like you know it can be sort of related, relatable to people uh, at any stage uh, or even, you know, whatever stage in life. Besides Ren, you had some additional help um, on this album, yes? Yeah, I had um, a great bass player from here in town, Dan Kristan, um, playing bass, upright bass on all these songs. 
Um, I had my friend Drew Littell playing percussion on a few tunes and um, Ren sang backups on a bunch of tracks and she sang the part on We've Been There. Oh, and I also had um, Pat Lyons, um, uh, formerly of Chicago. Now he's down in Nashville. Um, he, he did some uh, Dobro tracks on a few songs that came out really cool. Nice, nice. I, I, I thought it was important to uh, to recognize uh, all those talents. You you produced, recorded, and mixed "Chasing the Light" uh, at your at your own home studio, uh, and and the sound is is stunning. It's it's beautiful. Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate that. I mean, yeah, you know, like I mentioned, I've, it's been a like I've been working on learning about recording and stuff for you know, the last, whatever, 15 years, 10 years, um, since I've, you know, started accumulating gear, I guess. <laughs> You've um, invested some money. Yeah. I mean, right. And it's, you know, it's a process and I could still, you know, invest way more if I had it. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm happy with how it came out. I'm, it's to me, it sounds better than my last ones in terms of, you know, recording quality and all that stuff the uh the final song on this uh on this album is vas olin it's it's the poppiest song on the album well i mean yeah I, I, I you know again it's not i can't take credit for it i guess but i wanted to have another uh kind of like well-known song that i kind of presented in my own way um like totally different than the original you know it seemed like a good like ender also um, to the record and uh, I've always loved it that tune and album and stuff so yeah it's just, uh, another tune that's always res- resonated with me for you know whatever reason and, is, uh, is that the Stone Temple Pilot song? Yeah, yeah, it's actually... I, you know, and I, I know that song, and I didn't recognize it. Yeah, well, there you go. I did it in kind of a, a totally different way. Like, um, you know, Stone Temple Pass is like rock and guitars and stuff. Um, so, yeah, I did it with all acoustic instruments, and I kind of like uh, jazzed it up, for lack of a better <laughs> term, and, you know, added my own uh, little bits of uh, flair to it. But yeah, it's it's the Stone Temple Pilots off of purple, and it fits your style so well the way the way you play it and 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 have rearranged it. I, I'm I'm blown away. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Hey, I mean that's great. I, I I'm I'm glad that it sounds. <laughs> I'm glad that it sounds um like you know a different take. So that was kind of what I was going for. That's it. We got through the album, man. Now now we're just waiting for the next one. <laughs> all right well it's almost winter time again i'm gonna have some more time to uh start writing some new stuff uh bear with me here for just a moment here jared rabin's latest album is chasing the light catch the jared rabin band october 21st at 8 p.m at an album release party at madame zuzu's 1876 first street in highland park illinois the website is jaredrabin.com brilliant man that's uh, just, just brilliant uh we'll post links to jaredrabin.com in the notes below thanks to jared rabin for taking the time with me today if you like this program please share and subscribe for announcements and notifications on up- upcoming programs for playtime i'm wc turk thank you so much this was this was awesome dude yeah hey thank you thanks for having me it's great and uh and i'm a i'm a massive fan i i love 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 the album i, I love i love both uh cold rain and snow and uh, and this one is uh is an evolutionary uh movement forward thank you i appreciate that it's awesome to hear
Take me.